everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast. Starring myself, Frankie, and my co-host, Marcus Smith. And in today's episode, we are going to be recapping the Miami Open and its champion, Daniil Medvedev, who defeated Yannick Sinner in the final after a thrilling semi with Carlos Alcaraz. And on the women's side, uh, we had Patrika Vitova reviving her career a little bit, taking down Rabakina in the women's final, and denying her the sunshine double. So, Marcus, we got a lot to get into here, but uh, let us start, I think, with Daniil Medvedev. Tell us what he did really well, how he was able to win this tournament. Well, he had an incredible draw. Uh, The toughest match he had was his semifinal match uh, against Karin Kachanov. Until then, he basically played guys outside the top 50, and had a walkover at some point. So I don't want to say he got lucky, but he had a very favorable draw. Um, So he was pretty fresh physically in compared to Yannick, who obviously had that grueling almost three-hour match with Carlos on Friday night. But we kind of talked about this last tournament that he was going to play a little bit better in Miami because the courts are a little bit quicker, kind of suits his flat ball and style a little bit more. Um and I knew that, and I also had a gut feeling that if you were to play Jan, it would also match him up better against Jan than he would against Carlos, because Carlos can just blow him off the court completely, whereas Jan can, but doesn't also have that variety yet that Carlos does with the drop shots coming to net. He's working on it, he's getting there, but he's just not quite there yet, and because Medvedev's able to push him back really deep with those low flat balls, and we saw Medvedev, I mean, they were both toasted today. I don't know if you saw it, but they were like absolutely dead. But Med was hitting his forehand pretty hard. I'd like to see that more from him. So really good tournament, solid, you know, sunshine double for him. Frank, it's almost kind of necessary for him to play super well during these two tournaments because the clay season is usually a wash for him. So he's got to accumulate as many points as he can until he gets until uh, – until we get to like the Wimbledon grass court slash, you know, U.S. Open hardcourt series in the summer. But I want to hear your thoughts, too, on what you thought Med did specifically well this tournament. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's funny that you mentioned the points thing with the clay season, because something that Yannick Sinner even said in his uh, concession speech was, um, you know, you've done a really well here, uh, Daniel, but. You know, but hope you could keep it up during the clay season. Like just like some yeah, little sarcastic comment, sarcastic comment, which is they apparently don't so. like each other. Really? From what Say I've more. gathered, I don't know. Yeah, so Jim Courier was telling us on the show today that they played a couple of years ago in the ATP Nito, you know, the the, eight, the finals, right? Final eight, and uh, I believe Medvedev's final round robin match was relevant because he had already advanced. And so he didn't want to really spend too much energy. And he basically just tried to slap winners out of his way out of this match so he wouldn't have to work hard and serve and volleyed. Apparently, it pissed Jan off because Daniel was kind of tanking. But Daniel ended up winning anyway. And apparently, Jan was just like super furious, gave him like one of those, you know, drive by, not even looking at your face type handshakes. So there's a little little beef there. I know exactly what match you're talking about. That was the one where Yannick was the super sub. Because I forgot, I think it was Berrettini got injured. Yes. Uh, so Yannick had to go in. Yeah, that match was super janky. That was a really weird match. But uh, I don't remember that handshake at the end. But I'll take your I'll take your word for it, and I'll take Courier's word for it. I guess question mark. But uh, but yeah, no. I mean, I mean, listen. I 
So my predictions for this match, to be honest with you, I think I said it to you and I said it to, to Emma also, like one, there, there's multiple reasons why I knew that Yannick was going to lose. Number one, it is extremely tough to have a mental and physically grueling match that he had against Carlos and win again afterwards. Just very, very difficult. Very, very difficult for a young player to do that, right? So that's number one. Number two, Medvedev is a horrible matchup. Horrible matchup for him. Quite frankly, the probably the worst matchup you could possibly have, right? I mean, Daniil's going to give you no spin, no pace. He's going to give you a bunch of, like, garbage, janky crap. And, like, I don't mean that as an insult to Daniil. I, I think he's very entertaining to watch, and he plays such a different style. But that is just the worst thing for Yannick, right? And Daniil stands so far back, as you mentioned, that he's going to be able to get every single ball back. And the reason that Alcaraz is such a horrible matchup for Daniil is that Alcaraz has the best drop shot in the game and the best lob in the game. So he's able to really attack that vertical discrepancy that Medvedev sort of concedes when he plays. And Yannick just doesn't have that yet. Is he working on it? Absolutely. You could see it when he plays Tsitsipas, for example, who was somebody that Jan used to give a lot of trouble with. But then with the drop shots in the Australian Open, for example, you saw that sort of dynamic start to shift a little bit. And I think that that's like the next iteration that we're going to see from Yannick. But let me tell you, I think he he might be an early contender for most improved. Because he is just playing so, so well. He's moving so, so well. His strategy is upgrading a lot better. He's adjusting in match. To go down a set to love to Carlos after that first, then that first set sucked to lose that. And to come back and win and physically outlast Carlos, I might add, is a tremendous accomplishment for Jan. Because at this point, there's really not many players that can beat Carlos Alcaraz, and Yannick Sinner is in the very few company that can do that. I mean, he's the only guy that's taken sets off of him in the past two months, right? So that really does say something. But for Daniil, perfect tournament, a perfect few weeks, to be honest, outside of the loss to Carlos. He's racked up his points in the hardcore season. His serve looks great. His heat, as you mentioned, his forehand's looking good. He's being a little bit more aggressive, looks a little bit better at net. And I think he's setting himself up for a nice, like, hardcore swing at the end of the season. But, yeah, Daniil's back, baby. He looks great. Yeah, he looked phenomenal. I mean, he, you know, beating Djokovic on a Dubai. And then, again, Indian Wells was fantastic. Carlos is too good for him. And then, you know, winning Miami absolute dream another thing actually that i noticed with daniel today and i was talking about this with louisa frank is that daniel why this is also another bad matchup specifically in today's conditions obviously taking into account that jan had a brutal match with carlos and that he was going to be physically more drained daniel does not really require much energy to hit the ball if you've noticed he's very lanky just kind of like leans into the ball especially in the backhand he just like leans into it where he gets his pace uses the opponent's pace the forehand also just kind of just leans and slaps into it. Meanwhile, on the other hand, Jan is somebody who uses an incredible amount of energy to hit the ball with spin, with speed, and it's great. But it was just a horrible matchup for today because it was so hot, so humid. He was already drained. I mean, you saw within the first three games, you saw him already limping and stuff, and he needed to replenish his fluids really bad. The guy needs some rest, but um, 
Jan's going to be fine for the clean season. Daniil's going to struggle a little bit, although Daniil didn't play anything at all last year on clay. So if he can at least rack up a couple of rounds of points, that wouldn't be too bad for his ranking. So I uh, generally I would agree with you. But if I recall, Medvedev got to like, what, the fourth round of Roland Garros last year? Quarterfinals? He had like a decent showing. I so he, he was... actually does have like a decent amount of points to defend. I will double check this while I let you finish your thoughts, but I think he actually does have a decent amount of points. Yeah, he he. I think he had a hernia injury, but I thought he missed a couple more tournaments. But he could have a decent amount from Roland Garros. But you're gonna triple check me on that. Also, get to get back to Jan just for a second, and I know you mentioned kind of the evolution of him and most improved. You and I are going to have to thoughtfully create another episode just for him because the evolution of Jan is something that we were saying before our very eyes. I can come up with at least five things. I mean, one, his serve. Yeah, go ahead. Medvedev, round of 16 last year. He lost to oh. Marin Cilic at Roland Garros. So, yeah, I, yeah, he, he did pretty well. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, then he's got some legwork to do. Sheesh. Um, but Jan, I mean change of serve, change of you know, whole new coaching staff, uh, speed strength he's gained apparently like you know almost five to ten pounds of muscle smarter he's in, including i mean we, we're gonna have to do a whole nother episode on this because this is really kind of fascinating to watch especially knowing that darren cahill is doing a lot of this behind the scenes with him is something that i would really love to, to tackle with you but that's for another day um frank let's talk a little bit about carlos uh I felt like he did, just didn't really play his best tennis on Friday night. I thought something was a little bit off with him. He, physically, he also looked a little weird in that third set, like he was cramping, and then all of a sudden they give him like a bottle of something, and he's doing great. I'm like, all right, what are these Spanish guys giving him? Like, I, whatever he's having, I'm having. It was the same thing that Novak has in between the sets when he loses. Ah. Cocaine That's Novak. That yeah, Cocaine Novak, exactly. <laughs> cocaine <laughs> so, Carlos. That's the first thing that I thought of when that happened. I was just like, oh, come on now. Uh, no, I, I, I don't know if he looked off, right? I mean, there were definitely points where I was like, whoa, you know, like he looked good. But I do think that he is... And I mean, this goes back to like Yannick again, like those two are just definitely intertwined with each other now, which is great. But, you know, I think that a lot of that I would give credit to Jan because Jan, what he has done is become a lot more aggressive. He's become a lot better movement wise. And like some of the shots that Carlos used to be able to just kill him and hit a winner on, Jan is getting back now. Right. And like, I think that Carlos, when he plays Jan, it's not like a super awesome matchup for him because Jan is one of, I, I can't think of anyone else that is able to really attack and hit as hard as Carlos can, right? Like Carlos's massive forehands or whatever, like are just not able to really, like, it, like Jan can hit it just as hard. And for me, the key with that matchup, at least that I noticed, was the backhands. Carlos's backhand is just not as good as Jan's. Like, Carlos has a good backhand, but Jan's is just like, there was at one point in the second set where Jan just hit like a crazy forehand cross court, brought, Car brought Carlos all the way out. 
Carlos hits like a pretty decent like defensive shot down the line. And then Jan, rather than take the backhand and go like cross court and make Carlos run laterally again, actually hits it behind him and hits an inside out backhand winner. And like, you're just like, whoa, you know, when you're hitting inside out backhand winners, that's like another level of, of backhand like strength. Jumping too. I know exactly what your ball you're talking yeah. about. I, yeah. I remember I was just like, ooh, that was spicy. Yeah, no, he's he's good. And I mean, the biggest thing, the biggest difference in that matchup, let's be clear, and we said this in Indian Wells too, is the serve. Yannick's serve has gotten infinitely better. It's so much easier for him to hold now. It's just, yeah. The one thing that I would say was off from Carlos's game is Carlos's serve did look off even before the injury, the cramps. Something's up with Carlos's serve. I haven't seen him be hitting it quite as big as I saw him last year. And I'm kind of wondering why that is, if that's a tactical thing, or maybe he was just a little bit more amped up last. I, I don't know. But I feel like his serve is definitely a less dominant, and he's having to work more in those more in like those tougher matchups like a Yannick or a Daniil than he had to previously. And again, this is all nitpicking. Carlos is fantastic. He's the best player in the world. We're just nitpicking here. Yeah, I mean, this is what we do a podcast for. We nitpick. But his... A lot of double faults from Carlos. That was I was kind of disappointed. And I think it got to him in his head because once he started not being able to make second serves, Jan starting to attack that second serve again. Not many guys are able to do it like that. That's where it kind of got into Carlos's head. He started missing, I mean, a lot of double faults that I'm not used to seeing from Carlos. So that's kind of why I guess he said he was sort of off. But overall, um, you know, really, really good tournament. Really happy with the, the way it went. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the women, Frank. I know you wanted to touch on this, and I'm very excited to touch on it too because I think we're seeing a trend as well that you brought up. Petra Kvitova, turning back time, winning Miami, denying Elena Rabakana the sunshine double. Uh, talk to us about how that went down. Uh, yes, very briefly. There was one last point that I wanted to make on Yannick and Carlos. The other thing that Yannick did really well is that, as we mentioned in the last podcast, Carlos is one of the best net players on tour now. And Yannick was just pinning him back. It's way too big. Carlos can't rush the net. He was just pinning him back. The amount of times that I saw Carlos not at net, I, I don't remember like many points where Carlos was at net. Like if anything, I saw Yannick at net more and he got lobbed like twice. But still, like that part of the um of the of the of the court, like that the net portion was all Yannick's territory. Carlos was not dominating that space at all. And that's something that I think is really critical for him, especially in like a baseliner matchup. I, that's why he whips Daniel is because he can just go up and, and kill points. But anyway, moving on to the women. Uh, yeah. Kavitova played awesome. That serve, her serve was fantastic. Forehand, massive, really using the lefty matchup and, you know, Rabakina has nothing to be ashamed of. Rabakina played fantastic. She's had a fantastic little sunshine double here, racked up the points again. You know, and she set herself up nicely to have a lot of points and be able to hopefully defend that Wimbledon crown, which she has zero points for because of Wimbledon last year. So, you know, she's going to have a, a pretty nice go here. Oh, and, and unfortunately, Sabalenka was not a part of Miami. She had to pull out. Uh, I think it was like the third or fourth round, something like that. Yeah. And she's she going to miss Charleston next week as well. 
but you know it's a really nice little dynamic that's developing between Sabalenka and uh Rabakina and and Sviantek, who we'll touch upon a little bit later but yeah Petra Kvitova still really good um had a really great tournament and I think is another person that we're gonna have to watch out for at Wimbledon she's won it already so absolutely is going to be in contention yeah I love Kvitova's game and I love her demeanor as well big lefty and plays Miami was honestly probably the perfect court for her to win too a lot faster she definitely benefits from a faster surface a la Miami a la Wimbledon with her big game Rabakina is making such big improvements too that I'm so excited for the way that the women's game is kind of going with like that big three ish you know and then you've got like you know Jesse Pagula kind of hanging on from the back Coco Golf we're hopefully just going to bloom into that sort of but um yeah you got I wanted to actually get your opinion on that yeah I wanted to get your opinion on that I Coco Golf has had a horrible start to the season horrible Right. I mean, like she's bounced out in like the first or second round of the past in the sunshine double. Her game is perfectly suited to the like she's an all core player, but she should be perfectly good here. I'm getting a little concerned about her. Can do you like have any insight as to like why she's been struggling or what exactly the the problem is here? Because I understand that part of it is like, oh, she's so young and blah, blah, blah. Like I get it. But also in terms of matches played. She's not really that young anymore, right? Like she's still got a ton of matches under her belt that would sort of indicate to me like it, it there's not like I just don't know what progress is left and I'm worried that she's going to start to be left behind by people like Fiontech, by people like Rabakina and I it just I just have a little bit of pause. I don't know about you, but I I have a I'm I'm worried about the hype train. I hear you. I hear you. Um, I think we also have crazy expectations for African-American women from the United States because previous ones have done incredibly well immediately. And now all of a sudden we're like, all right, this is going to be the next Serena. And oh, how come you're not winning slams at 19, 18 yet? Um, I think people need to realize that not everybody's on that path. And Coco is already a top 10 player, which is fantastic. I still think the age and maturity thing play a role. I understand she's been on tour for quite a bit. She's been playing since she was, I think, like 15 or something, seven, you know, 15, 16, 17. But I still think that that plays a major role when you're still traveling the world at that age and, you know, you're trying to figure out who you are and, and all these things that maybe don't even necessarily have to do with her play. Coupled with what you just mentioned about how we're kind of having a separation of of powers here kind of on the men and the women's tour but for the women specifically we've got that Iga Rabakana Sabalenka kind of you know edging themselves out you know we've got some people who pop in and out too but like they're kind of forming their own little group of you know we're dominating the women's tour and it's very difficult to pop in there because you got to be super consistent I just don't think Coco has that yet um, I still have high hopes for her, but I just don't also think she's just on a game level, kind of like what we're seeing and kind of what you wanted to talk about too, about how this trend of taller women starting to take over the game and play more powerful and stuff. And Coco's not the tallest girl out there. And maybe that has something to do with it. So 
tell our listeners kind of about your theory on that. Ega, obviously, aside a little bit, because she's going to, you know, we'll talk about Ega too, because she's got a clay season coming up where she usually does well. But, you know, does that make sense, Frank? You hear me there? I do. But my response to that and my response to anyone that tells me that, because I always hear that, is that Coco Goff has played 40 more matches than Carlos Alcaraz, for example. They're the same age. And she has played roughly the same amount of matches as Yannick Sinner, who's two years older than her. Can't compare. Uh, yeah, but, like, it, it's... I don't know. I just, like... I I, I don't know. I my, That's my opinion. I, I just think, like... I don't know if, like, Coco Goff is going to be, like... I, I think she'll get a slam, but, like, I don't know which one. Because, like, is it going to be on clay? No way. She's not beating Iga. That's just 0% odds that that happens, right? And even Barbara Kreshkova, who's still good, like, I would take her over over Coco Goff. Then I think about, like, okay, Wimbledon. Well, problem here. Um, there's, like, two women that I can think of right now um, who we've spoken about, Sabalenka and Rabakina, defending champ by BT Dubs, NBD. Um, who will, in my opinion, like crush her, right? Like super tall, super big serve. Like Coco has a great serve too, but like, I think that the biggest difference is because those women are so tall, like they're able to hit a different kind of serve. It's not just like a power, like, you know, like I'm going to hit the highest MPH. It's like, oh, I'm tall. So I am able to like get an angle, like a launch angle on my serve that is different than someone who is 5'8", right? And, like, that, I think, is the biggest difference with Rubakina, particularly, over everybody else on tour that I've seen. And the thing that I was saying to Marcus before we got on air here is that I think that the women's game is experiencing, like, a little bit of a shift. And it's subtle, but, like, I, I've seen it in the same way that a few years ago we saw the men's game increase in height right we got guys like daniel like stefano Tsitsipas, alexander Zverev, guys who were six four plus that were doing things that people who were six four plus have never done and we used to always say right like us growing up like oh you don't want to be too tall like you want to be like six one six two tops to play tennis that was the ideal height right and you could tell me if i'm wrong but like that is what i was always told yeah no you're spot on yeah now i would say that that has shifted and it's like, okay, 6162 is fine, but like ideally you're like 64 plus. Right? Ideal, I'm not sure, but we've seen taller guys certainly make it better for themselves by being incredibly athletic, which is changing the dynamic. I wouldn't say ideal though, but I but I hear where you're coming from. F fair enough. Fair enough. That's fine. But like it's certainly not out of the question, right? In the women's game, I think that Rabakina and Sabalenka are sort of emblematic of like, and again, Iga's the exception because she's like, I think Iga's going to niche herself to be more of a clay court specialist, to be honest, but you know, we'll leave that aside. Like, I think that the women's game is moving more towards like taller women who are way more athletic than we're used to and are doing and are, are going to change the way that the women's game is played. I think Rabakina is just the start. And there's going to be other girls who, like, I don't even know right now that are going to be 
super tall, do things that we never thought would be possible in the women's game. And I think this is, like I said, this is just the start. I think it's something to watch out for over the next few years. Yeah, the serve thing is critical. That That's a very, very good point that you bring up. Because if you have any sort of advantage with your serve in the women's game, that already kind of puts you a notch above. Because yeah. most of the time, the serve is on par. Um, it's kind of more so baseline. You know, maybe a little bit of variety involved. But if you have some sort of advantage on the serve, you're going to do very well. That's why I'm always talking about if Sabalenka can just get rid of these yips, sheesh. I mean, she would be in my opinion unstoppable but um you know obviously other great players to deal with that as well but i think that those yips are kind of like oh because her serve could be so good could be so good do you understand you understand what i'm saying about rabakana like mph wise might be the same as coco golf if not coco golf might be able to hit harder but because of rabakana's height she's able to get a different angle like can you just explain that yeah, absolutely. So if you're, you know, if we're comparing somebody who's five foot nine, like Coco is, and we're talking about somebody, Rabakin is what, six, six, one, right? The tennis is a game of inches and centimeter. So by the time that if they hit the same mile an hour serve, but they're clipping it at the top of the contact point, And if it's Rabakina hitting it versus Coco, the angle that Rabakina is going to get might result in maybe a two to three inch contact point however that results into maybe a three anywhere between i'm going to say two to four feet kind of angle by the time the ball actually gets to the opponent so that's the difference between maybe hitting an out wide serve on the deuce side returning it at like the singles line versus doubles line potentially outside the doubles line so that just opens up more opportunity for an open court um more variety on the serve also helps you hit that t-serve a little bit easier and specifically here's a big one frank the out wide serve on the ad side is very difficult for people who are below six feet to hit cleanly on a regular basis unless it's a kick serve but we don't really see kicks too often with the women's side so if you have that in your pocket where you can bring that into play and pull them off towards their backhand on that side you know you're gonna you're just gonna start off the points better and then the more of the times you hold serve you know, that's putting pressure on you to hold your own serve. So it kind of just has like a, a, a overall ripple effect. So Frank is totally right. It's all about the angle of launch, not necessarily the MPHs, um, because MPHs you can get used to, right? It's like fastball hitters in the MLB. Like, yeah, some guy can throw fast, but if he's throwing in the same spot fast, you'll get timing right. You just got to block it, make contact and good. But with serving and, and baseball as well, I mean, I'm not a baseball aficionado i have a tennis podcast so but you know <laughs> but like tennis if you mix up those serves location spins especially with that change in angle makes a world's difference yeah i thank you that was very helpful so yeah I, that that is that is what i've noticed is the big thing with rabakana but the thing that actually stands up to me the most about her and maybe that's why i like have this affection towards her mentality wise no one better. No one I have ever seen on the women's game better. Like, number one, she wins Wimbledon, and it's just, like, ice cold. Duh. Awesome. Awesome. Right? I'm all in. Okay? Number two, particularly, like, if if you have the chance as a listener, go view the highlights of Elena Rabakina versus Paula Badosa at Miami. Okay? Badosa is, like, playing so well, doing everything. Bedosa has like two, three misses in a row. She's done. She's done. mentally is done. Rabakina, like after playing like 
a little bit like crap, like missing some balls, whatever, ice cold, just starts plowing her. Like, just starts dominating the baseline, hitting massive shots in corners, just like, you know, put the racket handle on top of your head and call yourself a tree. Like, just absolutely amazing. Okay? <laughs> he brought out the tree reference. No, he didn't. The first one on Breakpoint Podcast, by the way. Is that, that's still a thing, right? Like, you call someone a treer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I would, well, I'm assuming in the junior, that was like a classic thing in the juniors. Like, if you were a really good player, but like some guy who was a little below you was beating you, oh, he's, he's treeing. You know, it's like, oh, come on, man. But sometimes people are treeing. I mean, listen, I don't want to call myself a Redwood, but. Oh, dude, no I comment. have seen you tree. Oh, yeah. my God. I, <laughs> I take it seen... as a compliment. Oh, dude, I'm you a, should. I'm a forest, so that's fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> we're we're going to upload some footage soon because some of these forehands this guy hits in practice is outrageous. Yeah, I get one of them a, a practice session, then Marcus gets really pissed. It's awesome. But anyway, <laughs> I think that's going to do it for us here at Breakpoint Podcast. Um, thanks for listening as always. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, you can hit us up on all of our socials at breakpoint podcast seven on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it may be. DM us if you want to be on the podcast. If you have any ideas, please let us know. You can email us breakpointpodcast seven at gmail.com. And you could always also go to our website, uh, which is podpage.com forward slash break dash point dash podcast. And uh, you can have all of our episodes listed there for you. So thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. And we will catch you on the flippity flip. Catch you for the clay court season, peeps.